0: This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. FirstNet,
1: built with at and is the only nationwide wireless network built with and for emergency responders, including Arizona physicians, nurses, and other critical staff. FirstNet subscribers get a great mobile experience with added security and peace of mind. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. There are, uh, you know, a trillion dollars or more that is ultimately under the control of the employer who would prefer to have better outcomes. And, uh, and so they're really in my opinion kind of the sleeping giant this equation because um, though many of them are not aware that they would have any ability to control these costs and to improve outcomes many of them are waking up to that idea and are doing it with you know amazing results
2: hi and welcome to the arizona physician podcast my name is john mckelligan your host for today's show and we're joined by dr kendrick johnson who is the founder of arc family health Dr. Johnson attended undergraduate school at Brigham Young University and graduated with a medical degree from Toro University, Nevada. His medical interests include lifestyle change, preventative health, and medical education, and global health. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much. Happy to be here.
2: Well, we're really glad that you, you came on. Um, we've spoken on the phone before and wanted to go into more depth for the listeners about free market medicine, why it matters? Why it should matter to people? Transparency in healthcare, and how all of this applies to what you're doing at Arc Family Health. So, I'm wondering if we could um, give some more background about where you're coming from. You know, how long have you been in the Valley? Anything else you want to share with listeners?
1: Sure. I came here with my wife and then two kids in 2013 for residency. I did residency at a Central formerly known as Phoenix Baptist, and I, I, after completing family medicine residency, I was very interested in doing what I went to medical school to do, which was to prevent and reverse disease, and, uh, and it did not appear to me that that was something that our current medical system was very good at, and so, so that's when, I, after residency, we started ARC Family Health to address what I saw as a need there.
2: Yeah, I I hear that a lot, that it's a very good sick care system, but your goals were not part of it. So you start two kids and now you have how many kids?
1: I've got four now.
2: Congratulations.
1: Yeah, they're pretty awesome.
2: (laughs) That's great to hear. I'm wondering, Dr. Johnson, if you could frame for listeners what free market medicine is, what does it mean and basically why should physicians care about it?
1: Yeah. And do you mind if I take kind of a roundabout approach to answering that? I just,
2: I think it would, it
1: would make more sense if I went back and told kind of how I got to the format of our current practice and, and how that fits in with, with a more free market approach to medicine. Yeah, please. So you know, I, I mentioned that I was really interested in this idea of, of preventing, reversing disease, reversing suffering. And I I didn't see that that's what we were doing most of the time in medicine. And I, and I always wondered why. I wondered why it was, it just didn't seem to be set up to really help people overcome their problems, fix their problems. You know, there's a lot of, you know, symptom management. There's a lot of, you know, disease control, we called it, but, but not a lot of reversal or uh, prevention that, that actually happens. And one conversation that always sticks out to me, and I probably tell this too much, uh, but the, the conversation that sticks out was when we had an executive come from a large corporate entity that owned the clinic that I worked at, and they uh, this executive said, Hey, your clinic is doing really well. You guys are actually close to breaking even. And I said, "Well, that's that's weird. Why would that be doing really well?" And he said, "Oh yeah, our our primary care clinics, we plan on them losing at least 10%." And thinking about that, it was a problem for me that that the organization I worked for obviously wasn't in the business of primary care. You know, if you're if you're buying up primary care offices and planning to lose money on them, then obviously primary care isn't your business. That must be some kind of a uh, a loss leader or a, you know, a, a a way of getting people into into the rest of the system. And so, you know, the question for me then next was, well what are we getting them into? Why Why is the uh, hospital organization buying up these primary care practices? Um, where is the end goal? And of course, where they make their money is in the hospital. You know, they make money when patients real sick, or when the patient's getting an invasive procedure done. So for me, that just seemed to seem to bring all of these experiences together all the times that I thought, well, why don't we do this better? Why don't we why don't we do these things that seem like they could easily prevent hospitalization, and improve care? And the answer seems pretty obvious that we don't make money by doing that. You know, if I have a great idea that uh, I take to a hospital executive and say, hey, I think I can reduce your hospitalizations by 30 percent, that CEO May not be excited about reducing his hospitalizations by thirty percent. You know that that may not be the goal of the of the organization. And so, to uh, to get back to the idea of of free market medicine, the fact that our our healthcare is mostly being channeled through these large corporations who are largely incentivized by insurance contracts, and one of the largest insurers being the the federal government, it appears to me that there is very little connection between what the end user, the patient, really wants or needs and how the providers of, of healthcare actually make money. And so when, I, when you look at the healthcare system and all the things that we wish were better about it and wonder why they're not better, one possible answer might be that the end user, the patient, isn't really shopping for healthcare. They're not determining what the healthcare providers give by what they buy because they're not really in a straightforward buying process like happens in a free market.
2: Yeah, I think that's very true. The market is not like others there's a need for it. So I don't know any patient who doesn't need some part of the, some piece of the healthcare system that we have right now. Right. And then we have all these other systems that have stood up since then, urgent care, telehealth systems, like everything else that fits the gaps for people to be in person or depending on what level of care you need and what specialties you need to get access to. So free market medicine At the core, are you talking about accuracy of price, transparency of prices? Like at ARC Family, we'll get into some more details later on, but is the approach for free market medicine that you have a menu of items and you're going to tell people very transparently what those cost?
1: I think that that's an important element of it, but but to be more basic about it, free market medicine just means when uh, somebody who wants to buy healthcare gets connected with somebody who's selling healthcare without a bunch of middlemen in between who are directing where those decisions are made, how those purchases are made. That may be a patient who you know, wants a doctor to help them with a certain problem. And that patient having an agreement directly with that doctor's office that they will pay them X for this service. And yes, that price you know ought to be transparent and, and kind of inherently will be transparent if you're working in a true free market we don't like to really buy things with a question mark by the on the price tag so that that part kind of happens when there is a, a true free market but the, but at its core it's really just it's a a service provider providing a service that the patient needs and another major buyer of healthcare currently is is the employer which again is is probably not because of a true free market, you know, that's more of government intervention who created the issue where the employer now is the, the purchaser of healthcare? But to contract directly with an employer is still a, a much closer connection to the patient than through the employer, through the insurance company and the TPA and the hospital organization, than to the patient.
2: Dr. Johnson, are you saying that we're mainly cutting out the insurance companies in the middle? Is that one of the biggest middlemen?
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest metal, middlemen. Um, there are other organizations like like PBMs and TPAs, and you know that it gets it gets boring for some people to get into the weeds of that. But but there are a lot of people who are essentially rent seekers in the healthcare system. They've uh, they've established themselves as a middleman without actually providing any extra service. And the insurance company is probably one of the biggest one, especially when it comes to the topics of primary care and the care of self-insured employers. And I, I use those two examples because you don't need insurance to pay for primary care. Primary care is pretty cheap. So why, why do you need insurance to insure you against the risk that you might have to go pay $100 in a year to see a primary care? Um, that's that's not something we need insurance for. And similarly, with self-insured employers, they're paying for all of the care of the, the patient anyway. And so they don't really need insurance in the middle to decide how that care is actually distributed.
2: Okay. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for framing it. Uh, we'll take a short break and come back. And then we want to talk more about the forces who are for and against the status quo in medicine, um, how you can overcome those barriers and what you're doing in ARC Family Health. So we'll be right back.
3: Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the Valley? Want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and podcast? Or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015.
2: Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast and our guest today, Dr. Kendrick Johnson. Dr. Johnson, let's talk about the forces that are for and against the status quo in medicine and how it ties to free market medicine, greater transparency in the services that are provided, the reimbursement to physicians, the cost to patients, and the cost to insurers if you see that they're still in the loop at all. So who do you say is for and against, maybe against changes, therefore for the status quo, really, uh, you know, against free market and greater transparency?
1: Yeah, well, healthcare corporations – uh, both hospital corporations and insurance corporations have done very well over the last few years. Um, their profits are soaring. Um, healthcare companies continue to be uh, among the majority of our largest and most powerful corporations in in the world, and uh, in, in Washington D.C., you know, healthcare corporations represent some of the most powerful lobbying groups. And um, so if, if you are in a system that is working that well for you, uh, you probably are not super interested in having the whole thing turned upside down, which is really what I'm, I'm suggesting we do, uh, maybe not overnight, but, but uh, over time, that we, we ought to switch much of the incentive structure in the healthcare system today. But to focus, to focus in on, on one of those two groups, the, the insurance companies are the ones that people often suspect would want to be able to improve quality and improve outcomes for the patient because that would mean less money out of their pocket. And, uh, and so people, people often think that might be the case without knowing that they actually are unable to pocket any of the extra money that they might save by helping a patient to be well, for example. So there's there's a law in place that makes it so they can only use 20% of the premiums they collect as any sort of profit, including the administrative profit. Uh, so they can't just they can't just improve quality and and improve outcomes and then uh, pocket the difference or, or make more profit that way. In fact, the only way for their profits to go up is for the overall cost of care to go up. And so that is a clear disincentive for insurance companies to, you know, one, get out of the, out of the way as, as in terms of being a middleman, or two, to improve the way that uh, healthcare is delivered. And, uh, and we kind of mentioned already that the hospital organizations, they make money in the hospital. And so if perchance, you know, the way of the future is less people in the hospital by giving better care, better outcomes, and using more distributed technology, then you can see that the hospital organizations who mo- own most of the primary care and most of the uh, ancillary services also are not really invested in wanting to change that whole system. And with all of that money, you know, most of the $3.5 trillion um, in healthcare, um, that's an older number, but probably more like $4 trillion in healthcare today. Um, if most of that money is going through insurance companies and hospital corporations, then you, you might think that there is, there's too much power in those organizations to ever turn things around. But a, a more uh, encouraging statistic is the fact that half of all of our healthcare is being paid for by employers. And half of those employers also um, are self-funded, meaning they don't actually use the insurance companies to take on their risk. Many of them are using the insurance companies needlessly to, to do that or to administrate their, um, their uh, networks. But with all of that money coming from the employers who actually do have an incentive for those costs to go down and they have an incentive to have healthier, happier employees, uh, You know, especially in the good organizations where people actually care about their employees, there are, uh, you know, a trillion dollars or more that is ultimately under the control of the employer who would prefer to have better outcomes. And, uh, and so they're really, in my opinion, kind of the sleeping giant in this equation, because um, though many of them are not aware that they would have any ability to control these costs and to improve outcomes, many of them are waking up to that idea and are doing it with, you know, amazing results.
2: That's great to hear. And it goes to what I wanted to ask you next was how to overcome some of these barriers. And maybe you could just share some comments that you've received from fellow physicians or from the patients that you've taken care of, either currently in ARC or people you heard from before.
1: Yeah, and one, one story that comes to my m- mind uh, immediately when you, when you say that is a, a patient who had, had a spot on her arm, and she was not one of my patients to, to begin the story. She was a patient at a clinic in a large hospital organization, and um, she went to see a, a primary care PA about this spot who referred her to a dermatologist in that same hospital organization, who referred her to a plastic surgeon in that same hospital organization. And the surgery date was set and she was going to have, uh, have this lesion removed. It ended up just being a basal cell, but she did need a, a sentinel node biopsy. And so the surgery date was set. um, And of course it was going to take place in this hospital's facility. And um, I found out about this patient and and her surgery and uh, the uh, employer that she was working for was wanting to know, does does this patient have any other options? And so I, I dug into it and I found out this patient was going to have to pay about at least ten thousand dollars out of pocket um, for this surgery, uh, based on her plan, because the hospital sit the hospital uh, facility was charging at minimum thirty thousand dollars to use the facility. That didn't include the surgeon or the anesthesiologist. I said, "Well, let me let me figure out, you know, what your options are. Are there is there anybody else that you might go to um, that you would be comfortable with?" And so, I called up a few of my favorite dermatologists and asked them, "Where where would you send this? Who who would be the surgeon to do this job?" And I got uh, I got an answer of a surgeon that everybody thought was was one of the best that could do it. So I called his office and I said, hey, do you do um, these procedures um, in an outpatient surgery center where we could find out the cost? And that surgeon gave me his price and he gave me the price for the anesthesia and for the surgery center. And the total was gonna to be $7,000 for the whole surgery. It one of the most trusted surgeons in town. And so I took that information back to the patient's health plan. And they said, well, if um, she goes there, she'll have zero out-of-pocket costs. So I took that information back to the patient. And the patient went from having at least $10,000 out-of-pocket down to zero out-of-pocket. And as an added bonus, her health plan, her employer who is paying for this out of their pocket, had their total costs reduced from anywhere from thirty to forty thousand dollars down to down to seven thousand dollars and so that company then had more money to reinvest in in their health plan um, they've been able to bring their deductibles down for their patients because they're employing strategies like this and um, the patient was just ecstatic about her care the the surgeon that I referred to uh, her too, he actually tripled his rate in order to do this uh, do this case for her, and because of that, he was also paying really special attention to her. He was making sure that she was very well taken care of. She loved the whole experience, and the surgeon was very happy with it too because he's getting paid more than he normally would get paid. The only wow. the only people who lost out in the situation was the hospital company who, you know, was, was going to collect at least $30,000 in in facility fees.
2: Yeah. So those uh, few phone calls that you made were worth 20 to $30,000 and led to really good quality care at a much lower price. Right. Holy cow. Okay. That's a great example. Dr. Johnson, I'm wondering if we could close by talking about what you have going on with your team at Arc Family Health. Where are you located around the valley? What services do you provide? And what is this approach on a day-to-day basis when patients call in to ask about primary care? And like, what's that conversation like about the the menu of services and the prices and how they book appointments and learn about the cost going in?
1: Sure. Well, we call what we do direct primary care. That's a, a word that nobody knew when we were starting and a lot of people are hearing about these days. And uh, direct primary care just means that all of the primary care services that we offer are included in a monthly membership that's paid either by the patient themselves or their employer. And so that's all the office visits, in-house procedures, uh, and then any communication that we have with them. So telemedicine visits, they can email us, they can text us, and they just get a whole lot more access to their provider. And when they do come in, you know, we spend quite a bit more time with them. Our doctors average uh, five to seven in-person visits a day. That's compared to, you know, an average, you know, somewhere around 21 to 25 that you see in, in other primary care clinics. And they're able to just do so much more for each patient. And, uh, and then the doctors are just so much happier with the kind of care that they're giving. They just feel like they can do much better work for the patient. Our main offices are in, uh, North Peoria and in Gilbert. And we do have satellite locations that we, uh, we use, um, for certain employers. We're always looking for the best docs. So if anybody out there is, is looking to do more meaningful work for their patients without, uh, a whole lot of, uh, you know, a lot of less uh, paperwork and a lot less, um, of the middleman getting in the way of the kind of care they want to give, um, then then we're always looking for that.
2: Where should people go to contact you?
1: You can check us out at arcfamilyhealth.com and, uh, and you know, uh, reach out to us through the website and we'd be happy to re- reach back to you.
2: Dr. Kendrick Johnson of Arc Family Health, thank you so much for being on the show to talk about free market medicine, what it means for patients, what it means for physicians. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you.
3: This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015. Helping physicians be the best they can be.
0: Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework designed to give you confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.